Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the exponential success coach. And with me today, I have an amazing woman that I met over dinner, learned a bunch about her. She's uh, not only an artist, but she helps entrepreneurs. She um, she's amazing. I we met at a at a dinner that was curated by a mutual friend, and I just felt like she needed to join us. So I'm going to let her dive into the background that brought her to doing what she's doing. Uh, Without further rambling, let me introduce Miriam Shulman. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks so much for having me, Wayne. It's a pleasure to be here. It's uh, all right. So before uh, we had some technical difficulties and um, as we've sorted those out, uh, we were talking about what happened at that curated dinner. That's right. So I basically told a very funny joke. I'm not sure if I'm going to get the timing right again. You, you will. Know, like, okay. I will. So at that dinner, we had to share a fun fact. And Wayne's fun fact was that, and I don't know if you talked about this on the podcast. I'm assuming you you haven't since it was supposed to be a fact that nobody else knows about you, which is that you cut your wife in half. So I want to know what it's what's what's it with you with swords and cutting and... Is this a lifelong obsession for you? Like, what, is that no, what? no, it's not. <laughs> it's not a lifelong. No, yes. Uh, awesome. And I love for it. those listening, I just held up a tanto, which is uh, which is a Japanese knife. So uh, one sharp sword. First of all, I cut my wife in thirds, not half. That's a technical difference. Oh, that's harder. See. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so my background, most people, well, some people that have li- been listening to me for a while will remember that I uh, I have magic in my background. So, uh, yeah, my wife and I were practicing magicians for a while. We'd have our J-O-B type of jobs go off, come back Fridays and Saturdays. We'd go to a local club and do our thing, magic. And then the other thing is I, uh, I grew up as a martial artist. And... Um, and so the logo of the show, the title of the show, uh, the logo is a katana being offered up out of the waves. The drawing is actually the drawing of my of my sword that I own. So it is a katana. The idea of cutting through to what matters most is about one sharp sword can cut through. And one sharp sword is so much better than a thousand dull knives. And so that's what brings us here is to talk about what does matter most. What makes the difference in our lives as humans? We have so much going on. We're each so uh, busy. We're so distracted. And um, and so one of the reasons I wanted you here, Miriam, is, is because um, you actually have a way of grounding all the distraction that's going around uh all about us and so if you could talk about i i have with me miriam's book she will be talking about it it's called artpreneur and um i just i would love for you to talk about 
your art. Obviously, it's surrounding you. For those that can't see because you're listening, um, there's there's beautiful art next to and behind Miriam. And um, just I'm I would love to have you dive into uh, how did save you, be- you. like <laughs> it's like be- your how many how much how much sleep did you get last night? About three and a half hours. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm so sorry for you. Thank you. How did you get to be the art printer? And what? Okay. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. let's go there. Let's do that. Okay. So no long introduction, just a long preamble to, to me. So uh, I always wanted to be an artist, but I was told you couldn't make a living that way. And I came from a single parent household. My father passed away when I was five years old. So when I went to college with a mountain of student debt, I didn't see being an artist as an option. So I figured, well, if I had to make money, where were they making the most money? So I went to Wall Street and not just any place on Wall Street. So I actually worked for the same guys in Michael Lewis's book, Liars Poker, and this very famous hedge fund that exploded in 1998. And after 9-11 happened, I took that as a sign from the universe not to do that anymore. And to, as you would say, cut through all of that and do what what matters most to me and find more purpose in my life. What got you from art into uh, the world of finance? Well, I've always actually been very good at math. So I did have, I did see that as my ticket out of the struggles that I had growing up. So, like I said, that single parent household, mountain of student debt. And my mother was a dancer. She did graduate college, but I just saw her struggle because she believed that she, all she had to do was marry a Jewish doctor. She'd be fine. We didn't plan on him dying of cancer. We, I mean, she didn't plan on it. So I just always wanted to be financially independent. That was definitely, and that still drives me. I still want, I still want that independent, that financial independence. And that's what drove me as an artist. But people look at me and they think, they think, oh, you must have hated doing that. And to be honest, Wayne, I found the work very interesting. It was intellectually stimulating. I used a lot of creativity as a computer programmer, I liked creating the that interface between the traders and the mathematical models that we were using to price derivatives. I know you have a lot, you mentioned you have a lot of bankers in your audience, maybe familiar with that, but I found the work interesting. It just, after 9-11 happened, and, and the reason why 9-11 hit me so hard was because I was at the World Trade Center in 1993 when when it was first bombed. And they didn't tell us what was going on. So I had been eating lunch when the bomb went off. We didn't know it was a bomb. And we just knew the power went off, but the uh, the elevators were down. So we took the stairs up 37 flights of stairs. And when we got back, to our offices and looked out the window. So I was at Seven World Trade and I looked out the window. We could see that there were helicopters circling the buildings. There was smoke coming out of windows and everybody around me was still working. So when 9-11 happened, 
and they didn't evacuate that second tower, that could have been me because that was the culture that you work no matter what. You work even if there's a terrorist attack going on next door. I had seen it firsthand in 1993. And so it was almost like a PTSD moment when 9-11 happened that that I wasn't at the Trade Center when 9-11 happened, but I could have been. And that was just too close to me. So I just made a promise to myself that I was never going back to that culture and to that world again. Without context, when a bomb goes off, when a plane hits a building, how would you know? Right. And, and I, I uh, was in San Francisco on nine 11 and the, and the culture was, well, why would you want to go home? That was New York. It's like, well, it's a thing that's different. It's the culture that, you know, it's like there's a family to go see if they're okay. Um, yeah. And, and in you, 93, uh, so I w- then I was, I mean, now I'm much older, obviously, if I was working in 93, but I was straight out of school then. And so I hadn't been quite jaded or normalized to this culture yet. So when that happened, when I saw it was a bomb, I just slipped out the back door. Like I went back yeah. down those 37 flights of stairs. I was like, I'm not sticking around for this. This is this is not good. But over time... Flights. Yeah, my, I walked my, up 37 flights. I mean, I was my like, first thought was my knees. Oh my God, my knees. <laughs> I mean, I was in my 20s, so yeah, I could a, do that. Yeah, that's a workout. Um, it's incredible because that was the culture. It's no longer the culture. Um, no? I, think okay. the, I think the pandemic gave us that gift because um, that's a huge shift. Uh, and I'm seeing that in businesses over and over. We need we as leaders need to be paying attention to what the workforce as individual team members, not staff, not employees, as team members, what do they each need? Uh, but back then, yeah, it's uh, it was different. And your butt needed to be in a seat in order to yeah. prove you were proving to someone that you were working. Um, it's a I even shift. took that lesson further. So. Um, once I started to get, you know, after the first year and I was there and I was like, okay, this FaceTime thing is very important. I would actually go to the 7 a.m. meeting. So they had meetings at 7 a.m. in the morning so that they could hit Tokyo, London, and New York all at the same time. So I was living in New Jersey. So that meant I had to get on on a train at at six o'clock in the morning to make that seven o'clock meeting. Now I did that because those were the power players that were in the room who showed up to the meeting. Those were my boss's bosses. And just by showing up and being seen, being visible, that helped me at the end of the year. Now, what's important for people who are in business, this is basically visibility. Like, so it's not, you know, putting yourself in the, and also putting yourself in the right room with the people who are the decision makers. And the other thing I did during that sex, so the first year, my bonus wasn't so great. And I realized that people didn't know what it was that I had done. And so that second year, not only did I put myself in that room every week, but every month I created a memo that basically said, this is what I accomplished this month. And this is how it's helping the business. And I gave that to my boss and I gave that to my boss's boss. And so the second year, my bonus was way better. 
But I think the lesson there for everyone is you just can't assume that everyone knows how great you are. You have to toot your own horn. And basically what I was doing was marketing myself to the people who are making those decisions. That's exactly right. Uh, The idea of self-marketing is really important. The trade-off, and this is what I wanted to ask you about, given the culture, do you need to prove it? And in a business culture, it's very often, yes, uh, you need to, you need to market yourself. You need to tell people what it is you're doing and how it's valuable. Um, that was pretty bold. It would be pretty bold today. It was really bold. However many years ago, decades. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. Because the thing is what I understood was that my boss did not have any incentive to tell anybody what it was that I was doing because he just needed to make him his himself look good. Yes, the team. We the team. Look what I did as a look, team leader. Right. So it didn't, I made my team. I didn't get did. the credit for whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that you were um I love that you were putting yourself in the room. And it was at a time, especially where women were talking about wanting to be seen. Women were uh, taking more seats at the executive level, but it was super slow. Not like it's fast today. It's not. Uh, But it was super slow. And um, it was during a time where men would pat themselves on the back for saying, look, we have a woman, a woman on our board. Look, we have a woman in the C-suite. And uh, for you to step up and go, no, I'm I'm making a contribution. I'm going to be in the room. It's also bold for those that don't know the corporate culture. It's bold to do what's called a skip level, which is where you where you uh, you miss your boss and you go to your boss's boss to say, look at me. So that's super bold. That's right. And it wasn't just the the meet the FaceTime meeting, the memo, but I would regularly go to the trading floor at the end of the day after close and see how they were using my software, if they had anything they wanted me to change. So, but it was exactly what you're talking about. I was not waiting for my boss to come down and tell me what he thought I needed to do. I and it did make him look good that I did this. So he didn't discourage me from doing it, but it was, it did take a lot of hoots but to do that. Yeah. It did. And just to paint the picture, 1993, the trading floor on Salmon Brothers. I mean, this was only like a year or two after um, the whole John Goodfriend and John Merriweather, like the, those, those big, they called them big swinging dicks in the book. Um, It was like walking into a men's locker room. It had that energy to it. Yeah. You just felt like you're just waiting for someone to snap a towel at you. You know, it really was very thick with male energy. Yeah. So it's, I'm, I'm trying to place myself in your shoes at that point, which is really hard because you're a woman trying to be known at the same time there's conflict which is is this worth it right there's got to be at you know in your mind you've got to be going i'm getting up at ridiculous o'clock in the morning to get on a train by six i'm staying after close after the bell um 
in order to be in the right room, what's it all for? Right. At some point, yeah. you have to be asking yourself that. Well, back then. So remember, I struggled my whole life with money. And that was the first time that I was able to walk into an Ann Taylor and pay full price. And Ann Taylor isn't even, relatively speaking, that expensive. Like we're not talking about Bergdorf Goodman. We're talking like a, mid, a chain, you know, it's like, but to me, that was like, oh, I arrived. And I was making more than my husband. I I did get married very, very young. So it was something that that financial independence was something I had never tasted before. So now money is only going to take you so far. So that's when I ended up, when I ended up leaving my job. So I was invited by that same group of people to join a very exclusive hedge fund. Um, I actually... I'm saying that wrong. It sounds like they reached out to me. I made my own opportunity. I, you know, reached out to them because they actually weren't allowed to poach us. So I reached out to them and I was invited to, you know, join them. And when they went under in 1998, so this was long-term capital LTCM, when they went under in 98, I was asked to stay on. And I was asked to stay on because they saw me as somebody who was going to be valuable for the future of the company, but they didn't really have a role for me. And it was during that time when I was part of that skeleton crew and going in every day and collecting a paycheck, but not working. Hmm. That's when my days lacked meaning and it started to suck my soul. So that's like what I was saying earlier, when I was working and in the busyness of like involved of what I was doing and enjoying the intellectual challenges of it, I was fine. Is It's when I was just going in and pretending to work and collecting a paycheck that I couldn't do that anymore. That's so great. that's why money is not a good motivator because I was still getting the money but I wasn't getting anything else out of it. And by then I had kids and I felt like I was just being paid to stay away from them. I couldn't continue that path anymore. That's a huge frame, right? Being paid to stay away from your kids. You are listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. Wayne Purnell. You know you are bigger than the life you are leading. It really is time to attend to that thing you've wanted to do or have, but you've been putting off. It's time to step into that dream you've parked for someday. It's time to claim true well-being, both personally and professionally, without giving up the success that got you here. It's time to check out Dr. Purnell's signature small group retreat, the Exponential Success Summit. Explore ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. Seats are extremely limited as this is a very special small group event. www.ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. It's interesting. Pre-pandemic, the Gallup uh, organization listed pay as number five on the list of motivators for employees. Um, as, as the pandemic rolled on and we redefined what mattered to us, uh, we all got us, got a sense of what our true values are. And it's interesting. Number one, 
is meaningful work. Tell me that what I am doing makes a difference. Like, I have to see that it makes a difference to somebody, anybody, somebody. Number two is uh, catch me doing it. <laughs> Acknowledge that I'm actually doing it. Uh, and, and so for employers, those are huge key takeaways that you need to pay attention to. And they're not new. <laughs> They've been around forever. Um, we want to know that what we do matters. It's, yeah. you know, and Miriam, that's part of why you left is like, I'm not, I'm getting paid, I'm showing up, but I'm not making a difference. Like, I'd yeah. rather be, I'd rather be home with my kids where I can make a difference. And that's why I wrote the book Artpreneur is because art matters. Art yes. gives our lives meaning, not just for the people who are making it, but for the people who are consuming it right now, this time, and, and this is always true throughout history, whenever we have these existential crises, well, two things happen. One is it lifts the veil on whatever is not working in your own life. So that's why we had the great resignation and so many people leaving their jobs. But the other thing is great art comes out of these times because, and because people really need this art because art gives people meaning, but art mm. can't help people if nobody knows about it, which is why I'm so passionate about helping other artists learn how to market their art, whatever it is. That's so good. And your, uh, your segue there was the best I've ever had. Like <laughs> not my first rodeo. <laughs> uh, I am holding up artpreneur, which is, which is Miriam's book. And, um, yeah. And if you're more interested in all the banking stuff, that's chapter two. I totally <laughs> threw them under the bus. <laughs> Let's talk more about meaning. I that's a sweet spot for me. That's a that's a uh, a precious place for me. Uh, if you want to talk about my cat, you may have heard her in the background. Um, <laughs> we never edit out the cat. So she I did not hear the cat, but I would love to see the little kitty. I am like. Uh, obsessed. Well, she may or may not join us. Um, it, <laughs> I, My uh, Instagram feed are all cats now. The algorithm knows. That's awesome. What, what I like. That's awesome. Uh, I would also like to talk about, you know, you did self-marketing in the financial world. Now you're helping others through marketing, through how does I'm a big fan of helping people find their voice. Right. You are a lone person and it feels so lonely in the world when you go, I have something to offer, darn it. Um, and uh, a lot of people feel that way, even when they're in major organizations, they feel very alone. So uh, let's let's go there. Let's talk about how do you market without being obnoxious? I mean, really, it comes down to that, right? Yeah, well, I didn't say without. I mean, you can be obnoxious. That that <laughs> does work for some people. That's, I mean, as long as you're, it's that's your that's, authentic. I am a little bit obnoxious. <laughs> like yes. some people find me obnoxious. That's so it's awful. it's really about what is your authentic voice. What is your yes. voice and leaning into that. And you know, you can't be a robot like Chat GPT. You have to have an opinion, and not oh, there's a cat. Oh, what's his or her name? Her name is Osa. It's a made-up name. 
uh, because I was trying to figure out what the female version of bear was. Cause when she was a, when she was a kitty, her paws looked like bear paws. So Oso is bear in Spanish. And I just figured the feminine would be Osa. Then I just made up the name. So there okay, you go. so now you're going to have to help me. What the hell was I talking about before we had cat moments? So I think I was saying something smart, but I can't you remember were. what it was. You were talking about being obnoxious. No. Oh, yeah, that, oh, yeah that's right. No. No. After that, no, you were no, talking after about that, marketing. marketing. No, wait. I was talking about oh, there's such a brouhaha right now over artificial intelligence, and especially in the art world. Is it going to displace artists? Because there's, but here's the thing. And this is what I want everyone to know. You have to have a point of view, no matter what it is that you're doing. And artificial intelligence does not have a point of view. How your voice stands out is by having that point of view. Now, some people may find your point of view obnoxious. That's the way it is. If you are doing it right, people are going to love you or and people are going to hate you, but there's no money in the middle. And you can't be afraid of turning people off. If you look across all industries, politics, art, business, gurus, blah, 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 the list goes on and on. They have lovers and they have haters and they have a strong point of view. And that's the thing that's going to matter is your voice. Love that. Love that. Keep going. Just like, I love that. <laughs> I, going, got, like, I got nothing. It's like, it, uh, that's the, so, so I had a see me looking down, I'm taking notes and that, you know, it's like, that's the thing. Chat B GPT doesn't have, um, a kind of polarizing point of view. No, it no, you not even a polarizing. You can't even ask, ask it if hamburgers are better than hot dogs and see what happens. <laughs> It will tell it will describe a hamburger perfectly and it will describe a hot dog and it will tell you as it as artificial intelligence, it's not a sentient being. It can it does not have a problem. It doesn't have it doesn't have a, an opinion. Can't tell you which is better, right? Does yeah. not have an opinion. And all good art has a point of view. Yes. And if you look at music, this is this is where we really can see it. Like it has a point of view and it usually pushes up against what came before it. So when did you have Nirvana, right? After, you know, there was like disco, then there was grunge. I'm not going to do this exactly in order. But every time you look at, at a music and what comes next, it's always going to be a contrast to what came before it. So you had uh, Cock Rock, then you had Alanis Morissette come in. So you have, you know, these empowering women come in. So everything is always going to push up against. And you see that in visual art as well. So you had the abstract expressionists had their moment, and then there was pop art. So things are always in contrast of what came before. I think the whole point of opinion is huge. Point of view, point of opinion. And that you're right, it doesn't have to be polarizing. It just needs to make you feel something. Uh, for me, that's actually, I take that into museums. Uh, like, do I feel anything? And, and there's some exhibits where it's like, I got nothing. And there are others. It's like, wow, I just don't like it. I don't know why. And so I'll lean in. What is it about this art that I actually don't particularly like? And then there are other things. It's like, wow, I'm drawn. I love that. I, I don't know why that's like, that makes me happy. That's art. When you feel something right. Music. Uh, visual arts, that's, uh, and 
marketing, <laughs> right? Putting yourself and, out there. And this podcast. I mean, like, how boring would it be if, like, I came in here and I disagreed with everything you said? Like, you know, so on. true. Like... <laughs> oh, it is one of the reasons. Like, I have, I have people from uh, just all kinds of people. I've had cops, and I've had. Uh, I've had had bank presidents, I've had, you know, and uh, and now I get you. And it's awesome. So um, so I'm making faces for the YouTube watchers. Now podcast listeners aren't getting the full benefit of my my dramatics. (laughs) Describe your faces. Uh, Here's the thing. Let's say I'm in a J-O-B job. I'm fine. I'm content. Um, But I know there's more. I am aching for a life that's bigger. And I want to just have my voice. Maybe I want to write poetry. Maybe I want to do painting. Maybe I want to finally write that song that's been inside of me. How do I let people know that that's a thing. So what's stopping you? Right. In your hypothetical situation. Yeah, no, that's the. uh, So here's, here's the thing. Yeah. Anytime that we're going to do something different, uncomfortable, putting ourselves out there in a way that makes us feel the least bit vulnerable, because it's whatever it is, whether it's something dramatic, like you're quitting a job or something less dramatic, like you're going to put your poem out on social media, let's say. So anytime your brain senses any kind of discomfort, it goes immediately to fear. Why is that? Because our brains have evolved for survival, not goal achievement. So what happens? We have this idea we want to do something, but it makes us feel uncomfortable. We go into fear mode and our brains will come up with all kinds of reasons why this is a terrible idea. And the smarter you are and the more creative you are, the better you'll be at coming up with these bullshit stories about why you shouldn't do that thing. Now, what happens next? You're going to, so you have all these stories floating in your mind about why this won't work. So people are going to react in one or two ways. And if this is you, this is everybody, this is because you're human. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. So you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to procrastinate, learn, like you want to find out all the steps. You're going to take all the courses because you can't fail. If you, if you do all the research, all kinds, you go into those rabbit holes of research problem with that is now you have you come up with more uncomfortable things you need to do which which just gives comes up with more reasons why that won't work or you get contrasting advice so now you really don't know what to do or you you're just so confused by your own stories and you just indulge in that so you basically it ends up either way you're indulging in confusion and overwhelm and you end up not doing that beautiful thing love this this is this is my territory. So I love this so much. Um, the whole idea of procrastinate, it's a that's a great term. Um, confusion and overwhelm. I want to dive in and just define what the fear is. Most people are most afraid of abandonment, being alone, being outcast. And so, you know, if I put something out there and it's not good enough, people aren't gonna like me. And and that presupposes that you're going to let somebody else tell you what's good enough and what's not. If you've created it, it's good enough. Um, 
I'm I just want to read back this quote because it is so good. Our brains have evolved for survival, not goal achievement. Uh, it's so good that if you realize that survival means not being outcast, right? That being being part of the group and being part of the group sometimes means limiting your shine, dimming, dimming that light inside of you. Yeah. And let me just tie this back into a pretty bow to what we said before. Yeah. So what happens is that's what leads people to start people pleasing with their voice, with their message, with their art, with their marketing, because they don't want to come across as obnoxious because they are afraid of being, you know, ousted by the tribe. So when you go into this mediocrity, it's so boring. And nobody wants to listen to that. Like I said, you got to have lovers and haters. There's no money in the middle. So you yeah. stop people pleasing. You got to have a point of view. You got to share what that is. So strong. So strong. Um, stop people pleasing. It's it's okay not to feel safe because yeah. eventually you'll feel safe with yourself. And I think that's the key is eventually your voice becomes that safe place for yeah. you. And yeah. you start to gather the people around you that go, that makes sense. I like yeah. that. Right. That's awesome. That's and then so what cool. happened to me and what I imagine happened to a lot of other people during the whole great resignation is that the fears of staying the same became greater than the fears of changing. Nice. Agree. So there's, there's tigers and bears outside of my cave, but there were snakes in that cave. Yeah. <laughs> the ones yeah. we talked about earlier on the trading floor. So yeah. there were plenty of snakes in there, especially for a young woman in you know ni 1994, whatever it was that I was working. So I imagine still today. So describe what you do today, right? What is it that you do with people? You're obviously... Um, you're obviously a talented artist. I mean, look around you. That's... Like when I was talking about the stuff that makes me go eh, and the stuff that makes me go ew, and the stuff that makes me happy, like the, the things that I can see around you, I'm assuming you created them. Yeah. That's I, they make me happy. I like it. So um, just to clarify, I did support myself with my artwork for 20 years, and I only added on the podcasts and the coaching a couple of years ago. So just prior to the pandemic, I started the Inspiration Place podcast. And shortly after that, the Artist Incubator Coaching Program. And during the pandemic, I went full in on really helping artists because there were so many artists who were depending on the in-person events and they didn't have an email list and they the bottom fell out from under them. So those artists really needed my help. That's great. And that's what you're doing now is helping. That's right. With... That's right. But it's built on this foundation of 20 years experience. Yeah. Were you, uh, how did you get your art out there? How did you, because I mean, New York is a, not a small place and it's, <laughs> there happen to be just a few artists out there that want to be seen, noticed and, and acknowledged and, uh, and, and you're not new to it. Obviously you've been doing it a couple of decades. So how did you get yourself known? 
As yeah. So when I first quit my job for good, I still didn't believe I could make a living as an artist. And I actually took a job as a Pilates instructor because I don't know, maybe I thought that was, I don't know why I did that. But when I was working at the gym, they taught me how to market because they, their business model depends on upsells and personal training packages. And when I started to get these skills, that's when I said to myself, oh, I can use these same skills for selling my portraits. And that's what I was doing then was I was not like the art you see behind me, but um, realistic portraiture. So the first thing I did was I moved the painting of my son into the foyer so that when all the parents came to pick up the playdates, they would see it. I mean, it was basically, it was guerrilla marketing, you know, Hey, I, you know, somebody, their commission was done and they're like, okay, can I pick it up? I was like, Oh no, no. I, you know, I have blah, 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 something. Let me meet you at pickup. Why? Because that's where all the parents are. So now everyone else can see that commission as well. So, I, I mean, these were things I was doing over and over again, really putting myself in, in that room, in the place just like I did when I was working on Wall Street, putting myself in the place where my customers were and putting myself out there. And maybe it was a little bit obnoxious. I don't know. You know, but that's the that's the whole thing is um, just to challenge obnoxiousness, which you yeah. did when I first brought it up. It's like, the, it's if you're not obnoxious, if you're not playing outside of safe, you're just going to be bland. Right. Stop being afraid of bothering people. It's not bothering people. Like I, you know, people were glad that I was putting this out there. They didn't, you know, they already gave a set of golf clubs to their husband last year. What are they going to give them now? That's so great. It is so great. A rock just fell off my desk. <laughs> so that's what, the, <laughs> that's what the, the, the snapping sound was. Um, Oh, I thought it was the energy of like how good this was. Like it's like so good vibration that, you, that those I moved rocks. You know, you like, did. It was like awesome. I bend spoons. I move rocks. That's right. With me today, Yuri Geller. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I just I am so appreciative of this. The the whole idea of uh, I actually when I'm working with executives and um, just people who want to make any difference in their lives. One of the, one of the questions I ask is, do you know what happens if you don't step out of your comfort zone? And the answer is absolutely nothing. <laughs> <You've got> to... <laughs> well, or you get eaten by the snake. That's or what you get eaten by the snake. Right? Yeah, right. There yeah. is a risk of staying the same. Yeah. Yeah, atrophy actually. <laughs> like that's staying right. The, staying the same means you're actually um sliding backwards because the world doesn't stay the same. That's right. That's right. And, and uh and so you must uh just appreciate yourself enough to get in the room with the people that could also appreciate what you have to offer. Um uh, everything about this is so good. I'm I uh if you see me looking down, it's because I have notes in front of me that I've been taking. Um, talk a little bit about the book. You, we talked about we talked about the Inspiration Place um, podcast. Um, talk a little bit about your coaching. Talk about the Inspiration Place podcast, and definitely talk about um, Artpreneur. Okay, so um, at its core, this is, this is new. 
Yes. Yeah. It came like out um, February of this year, 2023. Yeah. Listening. This this is obviously going viral on YouTube. and people are Viral. Because look now. at who we are. That's right. Damn it. <laughs> we, we're not allowed to curse on YouTube, right? Is I, I don't know. I don't know. I had somebody. Minutes. I had eat, somebody. Eat me out. Okay. So, um, yes. So this artpreneur at its core is a self-development book in disguise as a business book for creatives. So all that mindset stuff I talk about, but it is very practical. So don't be fooled. Um, I talk, you know, with the, it has the fundamentals that are for every business production, pricing, promotion, uh, productivity. And I left one out prospecting. That's probably the most important one. So I go through all five of them, why you can't rely on social media anymore. I mean, it's basically like Thelma and Louise about to drive off a cliff. I don't know if anyone's going to take their pedal off that gas. And so there are some very practical things in there. If you want to get a taste of it and see if it's for you, chapter one is absolutely free. Go to shulmanart.com forward slash believe and it will be in the show notes now because I said so. That's my magic trick of the day. If you like what you heard today, these are the kinds of things I talk about on my podcast. So the inspiration place is marketing and mindset. And I also bring people in from all different industries. And I talk about why it's important for creatives because we are tired of listening to people talk about the weight loss program and how you should have a cheat sheet to build your email list. So it goes beyond that. Nice. Um, and they it will be in the show notes, obviously. It's why I asked. Um, so I just want to make sure that if you're listening and not actually looking at the show notes, you get that it's S-C-H-U-L-M-A-N art.com forward slash believe. Believe. Yeah. And if you want to skip the freebie and and just go to artpreneurbook.com and there's some, there's some extra goodies for people who order through there. And I'm going to hold it up. Um, artpreneurbook.com. Um, what were you hoping I would ask you? What did I miss, uh, in terms of our conversation? What would you love for the audience to know, like all of that wrapped together as a, as a thing. Such a good question. Well, I I would love to end with this. We're talking about getting started and about that being really being able to see through those stories that we're making up and seeing that they're not all facts. These are stories we're telling ourselves that aren't helpful. But the thing is, is like how to keep going. And that's why I want to end with, with, for your listeners, that you need to keep marching forward, not marching in place, one foot in front of the other, and don't blame your boots. What do I mean by don't blame your boots? Don't blame the circumstances. Keep taking inspired action and putting one foot in front of the other, and you will see results. That is like a mic drop moment. Uh, Really good. Miriam, thank you. Um, one more time, what's the easiest, because we have like three different places for people to find you. What's the easiest way for people to to get to know you? Okay. Whether you're listening or watching, I'm on both of those places. Find the inspiration place. 
You can, I'm on YouTube. I'm on any podcast app that you're listening to Wayne and I right now, the inspiration place, easiest thing to search for that. I'd, I'd love to have you listen. And then I would, I would love to have our audience listen to you as well. You're, um, inspiring, thought provoking, provoking and, um, and creative and all of that mixed together. So good. So good. Thank you. Um, yeah, you got me through my sleep deprivation moments. Uh, <laughs> I had a really late flight for, just for context. I, I, because I'm a big fan of taking care of yourself and your body and, uh, and getting six to eight hours of sleep. And last night I just didn't. Um, so late night flights, not recommended. Uh, Miriam. Thank you for being here. Miriam Solman has been my guest. Thank you. Appreciate you. Uh, this is One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Exponential Success Coach. We'll see you here again next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor.